0: in uh, the book of Samuel, 1st Samuel, chapter 3. And we are going to consider the whole chapter this morning. Uh, 1st Samuel, chapter 3, verses 1 to 21. Now, uh, what I have failed to mention in the past um, is that I want you to continue bringing back uh, chapter 2 into your memories as we go through the book of Samuel because chapter 2 of the book of Samuel with this prayer of Hannah is kind of like a road map for the rest of the book. And we are going to hear how Hannah's, uh, excuse me, and we're going to discover later on how Hannah's prayer in the end is indeed telling us uh, in in insights, in, in small things here and there, how uh, her prayer anticipates Saul, David, and, and uh, the falling of Eli's sons and things like that. So in that sense, Hannah's prayer is like this foil for the rest of the book that is announcing us what is coming forward. There are multiple connections, textual connections, in in, uh, Hannah's prayer that are repeated once and again. And hopefully, uh, we are going to see that as we go through the book of Samuel. So have that in mind as we read chapter 3 of 1 Samuel as well. And with that, then, please stand to hear the reading of God's holy and inspired word. Uh, this is God's word. Now the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli, and the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision. At that time, Eli, whose eyesight had begun to grow dim, uh, the, uh, to grow dim, excuse me, so that he could not see, was lying down in his own place. The lamp of God had not yet yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was. Then the Lord called Samuel and he said, Here I am, and ran to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call, lie down again. So he went and lay down. And the Lord again called again Samuel, and Samuel arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call you, my son, lie down again. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, and the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. And the Lord called Samuel again the third time. And he arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. Then Eli perceived that the Lord was calling the boy. Therefore Eli said to Samuel, Go, lay down, and if he calls you, you shall say, Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. And the Lord came and stood calling as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, Speak, for your servant hears. Then the Lord said to Samuel, Behold, I am about to do a thing in Israel at which at the two ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. On that day I will fulfill against Eli all that I have spoken concerning this house from beginning to end. And I declared to him that I am about to punish his house forever for the iniquity that he knew, because his sons were blaspheming God, and he did not restrain them. Therefore, I swear to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for by sacrifice or offering forever. Samuel lay until the morning. Then he opened the doors of the house of the Lord, and Samuel was afraid to tell the vision to Eli. But Eli called Samuel and said, Samuel, my son. And he said, Here I am. And Eli said, What was it that he told you? Do not hide it from me. May God do so to you and more also if you hide anything from me of all that he told you. So Samuel told him everything and hid nothing from him. And he said, It is the Lord. Let him do what what seems good to him. And Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him, and let none of his words fall to the ground. And all Israel, from Dan to Beersheba, knew that Samuel was established as a prophet of the Lord. And the Lord appeared again at Shiloh, for the Lord revealed himself to Samuel at Shiloh by the word of the Lord. Thus far the reading of God's word. You may be seated. I I always enjoy um, seeing the reaction of people who are trying something new for the first time. It is it is very interesting, and and sometimes it happens with food, does it not? Uh, you know, like those TV shows that we have in in public TV, when a man travels around the world and then he starts eating whatever dish that country has to offer him, and and we look to him safely behind those screens. How a guy that we have never met before in person gets ready to try a meal that we have never seen in our lives before. Yet as he sits down at the table, we can't avoid but feel nervous about it as well, right? We look at the plate as if we were with him. And and at first, it's all unfamiliar to us, just as it is for him. And we see it from different angles, and they do a really good job with that. And then we hear his plan of attack. I'm going to go this way, and then attack it this way, and so on. And then, finally, we hold our breath when we see him tasting the first spoon. And finally, we hear the very familiar, it tastes like chicken. (laughs) But we all know it doesn't. It doesn't. It's just an expression that we use to name something that we don't know how to name and believe it or not, we find something very similar this morning in the text here with Eli and with Samuel. Not with food, but with the work of the Lord who is calling his prophet. And we will uh, see this theme, the Lord's prophet, under four parts. First, scarcity in the land. Second, an uncanny calling or strange calling, if you will. Third, a frightful message. And finally, four, Um, abundance in the land. So, scarcity in the land, uncanny calling, uh, third, a frightful message, and finally, abundance in the land. So, let's see the first part, scarcity in the land. And I want you to listen again verse 1. Now, the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli, and the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision again notice for a second time the contrast that the sacred author is making here while in chapter 2 we hear about the priests of the lord serving themselves here in chapter 3 we find a little guy a little boy who is serving the lord but we also learn something interesting we learn that the word of the lord was rare in those days this doesn't mean boys and girls that the five book of, books of Moses were lost or unavailable. Rather, it means that the normal activity of teaching, preaching God's word to God's people was almost nowhere to be found. It also means that that is special and out-of-the-ordinary activity of God, like visions, oracles, and similars, were not happening either. And if you remember, we know why, right? The corruption in Israel was so severe, so widespread during these years that the Lord had fell silent many, many years. Just imagine, boys and girls, what would happen if you receive a punishment, and over that punishment, the silent treatment of your parents. Just imagine, brothers and sisters, going through your life with no one speaking to you ever. You see, darkness, darkness is really difficult, but darkness in silence is unbearable. And that is what is happening here, which means that the prophetic word of which we read last week about Eli and his sons is a rarity. It's not a rule. It didn't happen every single day. And again, think about this and learn, and learn the lesson, congregation. The worst punishment. The worst punishment that God can inflict upon people is to let them go and do whatever they want to do. Be silent against them. To allow people to harden their hearts and remove all warnings from their hearts, from from their consciences, from everywhere. Now we may think, well, we don't suffer from that today. We have copies of scriptures all over the place. Tons and tons of translations. Translations. The, the word of the Lord is with us. And yes, that's right in a sense. But if in Eli's time, God's word was silent in our time, the danger is that our ears and our hearts are deaf against God's word. What can be worse than hearing the preaching of the word every single Sunday and remain unaffected by it? That would be spiritual starvation not because you don't have food but because you don't want to eat it that is what we are talking about here now look verses two and three at that time eli whose eyesight had begun to grow dim so that he could not see was lying down in his own place the lamp of god had not yet gone out and samuel was lying down in the temple of the lord where the ark of god was Spiritual light and spiritual darkness are intertwined in these verses here. On the one hand, we hear about Eli's eyesight. He's definitely blind, but we all know, do we note, that the blindness was, first of all, spiritual for him, since he was not able to see the grownness that his kids were, or his children were performing. But we also see spiritual light, and in a very strange, out-of-the-ordinary kind of way we see young little Samuel laying down before before the presence of God himself. This, brothers and sisters, has not happened since the days of Moses and Adam. The little replica of the Garden of Eden, the tabernacle, in its most sacred part was forbidden to anyone except the priest, and that the high priest, and that only once a year. Yet what do we see here in the text? A young boy who is able to hang out in the tabernacle and not outside of the most holy place, but at the feet of the ark of God. That is amazing. And it shows us how the Lord had been already working in this little boy. So even in the worst darkness that there can be in the world, even when corruption abounds, there is still light around the land. This is the arrangement of things. Spiritual scarcity just uh, all over the place. Yet just like the flames of the menorah, the lamp of God in the tabernacle, there is still some little light shining in, the, in Israel. Now this leads us to the second point where we see a strange uncanny calling. <coughs> Excuse me. Listen to how the story continues in verses four and five. Then the Lord called Samuel, And he said, here I am, and ran to Eli and said, here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call, lie down again. So he went and lay down. Now, brothers and sisters, we're about to embark in a repetition of events that to us Westerners seems so boring again and again and again. But see, the Old Testament loves repetitions and allusions and echoes. So we need to pay attention to them because it will teach us a very deep spiritual reality. And we are going to see what that reality is later on. In the meantime, look at what is going on here. The Lord calls Samuel with an audible voice. Voice that young Samuel confuses with Eli's voice. But at the same time, voice that Eli cannot hear. This is not a case of schizophrenia, by the way. It is the Lord himself selectively choosing to reveal himself to Samuel and not to Eli. Also, let me remind you of the stage of redemptive history we find ourselves in in the book of Samuel. It is a stage of development. It's an infantile stage, if you will. And the Lord, because of that, accommodates himself to communicate with Samuel and with his people in ways that he can understand. This is like baby talk to him. He's using this audible voice to talk to him. What this means for us then is that we shouldn't walk around today asking God to talk us in this way as he's talking to Samuel. That would be to misunderstand the stage of redemptive history we find ourselves in. We have received better things. We have received better things than a a voice. We have seen Jesus Christ fully through his word and through the action of the Holy Spirit. In him, we see God himself. And he speaks more clearly today than the voice of Samuel heard. You hear that right. Jesus Christ speaks to us more fully today than the voice that Samuel heard back then. Now listen to verses 6 and 7. And the Lord called again Samuel, and Samuel arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call my son. Lie down again. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, and the word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. A second time the Lord calls. And because because, because of this, the sacred author knows that we will have issues and problems trying to understand why is Samuel so confused. Uh, why, is, uh, going to, why is he going to Eli? Therefore, he, he gives us an explanation. It turns out that Samuel has never before experienced something like this before. For him, it's all new. A voice is calling. Samuel does not see anyone close by. So what is the logical conclusion? It must be Eli, right? This is the equivalent of it tastes like chicken. It is the voice of Eli. Eli. Also notice what the text is not saying. The text is not saying that Samuel didn't believe in the Lord, as Eli's sons did. We have seen uh, uh, already in the beginning of this chapter how Samuel is serving the Lord and was in his presence. So what the text is saying rather is that Samuel was inexperienced with God's revelation, inexperienced with God's. Revelation, And there is a difference right there, brothers and sisters, boys and girls, between trusting in Jesus Christ with all of your heart and getting to know him. Trusting in Jesus Christ is one of our most basic movements in our faith. Knowing in Jesus Christ will take the whole of our lives. And on the road, we will discover new things about him, many of them we are inexperienced with. That is what is going on here with Samuel. Now look the third time, verses 8 and 9. Then Eli perceived that the Lord was calling the boy. Therefore Eli said to Samuel, Go, lay down, and if he calls you, you shall say, Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. See, the word of the Lord was indeed rare in those years. It takes three attempts for Eli to realize, Ah, this may be God. See, it's really sad when God's most experienced servants can't tell if God is working or not among them. There is a lack of discernment here. But see now, finally, the fourth time. Verse 10, And the Lord came and stood, calling us at other times, Samuel, Samuel! And Samuel said, Speak for your servant Here's two important things. First, this is the only place in the Old Testament that is affirmed that the Lord was standing. The Lord, in other words, is the direct object of that verb, as if he were physical. But we all know he is a spirit. And it gives us the idea then that there is in some sense the Lord's manifestation in a physical way before Samuel. In that way the text seems to be making an allusion to Eden. When God used to come every single day, remember? Every single day to the garden to walk in the cool of the day with Adam and Eve and showing us this manifestation of God, similar here with Samuel. The second thing that we need to note here in the text is the spiritual lesson that we finally hear and learn from all this affair. And that is the patience, the mercy, the love of the Lord with Samuel. How many times, brothers and sisters, we would have lost our temper with Samuel? Young Samuel, he's a good for nothing, because he needs to be told four times. One is enough. One is enough. I need to tell you once, and you need to do it. That's it. But see, that is not the Lord. He patiently, mercifully waits upon Samuel he lowers down to his level watches him as he goes repeatedly to eli several times until eli finally has an idea of what must be going on and at the fourth time four times finally samuel seems to get it and just partially because he says uh, he says speak for your servant hears he doesn't say speak lord for your servants for your servant hears now have you understood God's patience with you, congregation? Have you realized how merciful He is even when we are a little bit lethargic several times? And if so, have you learned to extend that same patience and mercy to others? You know what I'm talking about, right? When we complain about why others don't get it as fast as we do, when we complain about why the others don't seem to be at the same spiritual level that we are when we lack patience, when we think repetitions is tedious and they shouldn't be wasting my time. May we learn to see God's patience over us and may we learn to extend that patience to others. Now let us move to the third point, a frightful message. Here comes the difficult part though. Serving the Lord seems really cool having him speak to you even cooler doesn't it but what happens when the message that god brings who uh, turns out to be a difficult pill to swallow especially for those who have power over you to harm you well that's the kind of message that samuel has to deliver listen to verse 11. behold I am about to do a thing in Israel at which the two ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. That's an interesting phrase, isn't it? It's a Hebraic expression that expresses the frightful nature of the bad news. It's similar to you saying, you won't believe the bad news that I just heard. It's just horrible. You won't believe me. And what are those news? Nothing that we haven't heard before already, right? An echo, indeed, of Hannah's prayer that the lord pulls down those who have exalted themselves that he judges everyone and he breaks his adversaries into pieces and we hear it again in verse 12 and 13 on that day i will fulfill against eli all that i have spoken concerning his house from beginning to end and i declare to him that i am about to punish his house forever for the iniquity that he knew because his sons were blaspheming god And he did not restrain them. Nothing new, as I said. If something, there is the certainty that the Lord will emphatically indeed judge this family. But there is something more going on here. Notice that the text told us that Eli was blind back in verse 2. Do you remember that I said that this is referring to Eli's spiritual blindness? Maybe, probably, you thought then, how do you know, Christian? Where do you get that from? Well, these verses are the reason for that. Not that Eli was entirely blind to the Lord or oblivious to him, but that he, has, he had chosen not to see, not to know the iniquity of his children. He chose not to do anything about it. There seems to be a relationship between Eli's not seeing with his physical eyes and Eli's not seeing what his children are doing. See, brothers and sisters, boys and girls excuse me lack of discipline is lack of love when your parents correct you boys and girls uh, they discipline you, they correct you not because they hate you but because they love you because they love the Lord and fear him in fact the the expression in the text gives the idea that Eli's sons are like wild horses and, and Eli has failed to tame them discipline at the proper time is a gift of God in wisdom. Correction with prudence and grace is a mercy, because when we don't do it, chances are that our children will reach the point of no return, just like here with Elias' sons. That's why we hear at uh, verse 14, there will be no atonement or, uh, by sacrifice or offering. Now, Think about that message of doom again. Put yourself in Samuel's little sandals. How old is he? Maybe 12. And he is in charge of telling old high priest Eli the frightful news. Would you do it? Well, easy to say, Heck yeah, right? We are not in his place. We're not in his sandals. No wonder we read in verse 15 Samuel lay until the morning, then he opened the doors of the house of the Lord, and Samuel was afraid to tell the vision to Eli. But Eli called Samuel and said, Samuel, my son. And he said, Here I am. See what he's doing? He's doing everything he can to avoid Eli. He's working. opening the the house, uh, dusting off around places, he's afraid. And who wouldn't, right? Early in the morning, he's finding occupations to run away from Eli's present. But good old Eli knows, and he knows what is going on. In fact, one, one might say that he's dying to know what the message is. How do you know that, Christian? Well, verse 16, Eli kindly tries to bring samuel to himself to speak to him he even uses this expression of affection my son come to me verse 17 we find eli a little bit exasperated so exasperated that he puts young samuel under a curse if he doesn't tell eli the whole truth listen to it may god do so to you and more also if you hide anything from me of all that he told you so samuel told him everything and hid nothing from him when he said it is the lord let him do what seems good to him obviously has samuel has to tell him right he is by, basically forced into into it but there is a lesson behind this the message of the of the of the gospel of jesus christ is an offensive message for those who are perishing brothers and sisters and many times the message of the gospel is a hard pill to swallow. God's word has to confront our sins because before it, it can be a comfort for our souls in Jesus Christ. But please also notice that this message of salvation, it's offensive in itself. We don't have to make it more offensive. That is not our task. We don't have to heighten it, as if by doing that, we were making God a favor. In presenting the news of Jesus Christ In presenting the news of salvation, two things need to be avoided. Harshness and ignoring God's justice. Some believe that the more you insult people, the more you condemn them to hell, the better. While others believe that as long as you don't offend anyone, then you are being gracious. Those are two extremes, and none of those work. Also notice the reaction of Eli in the face of this prophecy. It's not anger against the Lord, rather it's a recognition that we see the action of the sovereign one over his life, and that everything he sends our way, everything, is good, even, even calamity. Think about that again. Everything that the Lord sends our way is good, even calamity. Ponder upon that for for a second. Have you learned to say, It is the Lord? Let him do what seems good to him. Now let us jump to our fourth point abundance in the land. Look at our final verses, and I'm going to highlight certain important parts of them for you. Not that it's not important, but certain highlighting marks. And the Lord was with him, and let none of his words fall to the ground. Samuel was established as a prophet of the Lord. The Lord revealed himself to Samuel at Shiloh, at Shiloh by the word of the Lord. Now, if you can, go back to verses 1 and, uh, and 3 for a moment, and then look at these final verses that we just read again. When we started this chapter, we found ourselves in a scarcity, in, in a precarious situation. There was no word of the Lord. There was no vision, no oracle, no nothing. The priests were corrupt, in fact. But as we close this chapter, we see how much the Lord has been working behind the scenes in silence. It was all hidden from Israel's sight. He called young Samuel. He proved to everyone around that Samuel had become a prophet just like Moses. And now, constantly, at all times, The voice of the Lord, the word of the Lord is with Samuel. So we have gone from scarcity to abundance, from languishing spirituality to fullness of provisions in the Lord through his prophet Samuel. And we will see later on how Samuel indeed becomes this key player in this period of redemptive history to move Israel from a place who is divided and messy to a people under one banner, under the name of the Lord advancing in many way in many ways God's promises for his people but in the meantime once again listen how this text that we are considering this morning speaks directly directly to us about the Lord Jesus Christ because if you remember just before the incarnation of the Lord Jesus Christ there had been 400 years of silence in the land of Israel there was no prophet that spoke God's word to his people and for a time for a time It seemed that god had forgiven forgotten excuse me about his promises and yet do you remember what happened later god himself coming down from heaven in human flesh it was not just the word of god a word of god through a prophet but the word of god himself jesus christ the second person of the trinity and and in jesus christ we finally see the plan of god coming to a consummation, God himself walking among us, just like in the Garden of Eden. (coughs) And in Jesus, we have God himself dwelling in us through the presence of his Holy Spirit. We are the better garden. And as you know, we had received a message of doom as well. There is no salvation in ourselves, no matter how hard we try. All of our efforts are tainted with sin. Even our best endeavors are filthy rags before a holy God. But God, in his mercies and love, just when it was impossible for us to cleanse ourselves from sin, he provided for us something way much better. Jesus Christ. His blood to atone for our sins. Animals cannot cleanse us. Jesus Christ, he can. In Jesus, then, congregation, we get what we couldn't obtain by ourselves, life everlasting. And finally, this Jesus, this Jesus is the reason we no longer need prophetic words spoken to us. He is God's perfect revelation. He is God himself, opening himself to us. In him, we see the perfect image of the Father. He is his perfect reflection, the final prophet of God, speaking truth through his word. What is then the point of all of this history? Well, the point is this. God's mercy and love for you and for me. That just like with Samuel, God mercifully, patiently provided for us, spoke to us, changing our hearts slowly, moving us to him until he captured our hearts and we have come to belong to him. That's the message that He was patient with you, even when we were sinners. This morning, then, we need to worship Him, and we need to live for Him in gratitude. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for what You have done in Jesus Christ and for what um, that means for us today, that we are Your people, that we belong to You, that we have come to become one in our union with Christ. So we thank you for that. We thank you for your salvation. Help us, Lord, as we ponder upon the mysteries of your salvation to rest in you and to live in you in gratitude. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.